everyone, welcome back to INC Live and welcome to a new look recap show. This one for UFC 264. My name is Carl Birmage. I'm still the same, as is Luke Alexander, who is our guest, our guinea pig, as it were, for a brand new format of this show. Luke, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carl. This is a great card, I think, to debut this new format. We have a lot to talk about today. Yes, um, I know there's a lot of people who do like tuning in for our recap shows. Um, I want to explain a couple of reasons why we're deciding to do this. First and foremost, as Luke mentioned, USC 264. This is the sort of card that really you need a lot more time. You need a lot more people to discuss the intricacies, especially surrounding that main event. And also as well, from a more um, from a more selfish perspective, I didn't really want to do a video considering what happened on the football by myself because it would just be 10 minutes of me crying. That makes sense. I mean, this was a, you know, you had... Some bad and some good. Great card, and then football not so good. So we'll hey, focus we, more on the UFC and yes, try we, to get the football. Yes, we'll uh, try and forget about the Euros. Uh, World Cup's coming in just a year's time, so hopefully we'll get it done there. What we're going to be talking about, though, is UFC 264, and in particular, that main event. It was Whiskey versus Hot Sauce. It was Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier once again. Let's get to the fights. And there is, of course, only one fight that we can start off with, which is the main event. Dustin Poirier beating Conor McGregor for a second time, this time by Dr. Stoppage at the end of the first round after Conor McGregor breaks his leg. Now, a lot of the hype surrounding this event, especially from Dana White, was that this was going to answer a lot of questions. Not only who is the better fighter between the two, is Conor McGregor still an elite level lightweight? What happens to the lightweight division? Has Conor learned some of those mistakes that led to the loss back in January? After five minutes of action, how many of those questions were answered? I would say maybe one conclusively. Um, I would say that it, it appears, at least as of right now, that Dustin Poirier is the better fighter over Conor McGregor. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, I thought McGregor came out. I mean, he showed a look, some different looks. You know, the spinning, the spinning body kick, hook kick. Um, you know, throwing, throwing a little bit more leg kicks. You know, like Poirier mentioned. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't really ever land any low calf kicks, but you know, most of them were above the calf, like knee level. But um, I thought he provided some different looks um, towards the end. It, it appeared that he was rocked by um, Poirier, and then he 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 chose to engage in the clinch, as many have laughed at. And then shoot, you know, grab goes for the guillotine, and by the end of the first, I mean, he looked pretty fatigued on the ground. I don't know if you thought the same, but I mean, he looked, you know, he he looked like he kind of did same thing as in the first fight with Poirier, and then similar facial and body language as the Khabib fight. I, you touched on a really good point there in regards to uh, Connor's attitude on the ground because I actually think that if you compare to how he handled Dustin on the ground to how he handled Khabib. Obviously, he would have prepared for it a lot more with Khabib being such a great grappler. I felt he he was a better at surviving against Khabib than he was against Dustin. I mean, Khabib never looked like finishing Connor with ground and pound in that fight, whereas Dustin did. And Dustin in the first round, when you bear in mind how good Connor normally is early on in the fight, I do agree with you. I think that I personally liked a lot of what Conor was doing in the stand-up. I liked the fact that he was mixing in the leg kicks. I liked the fact that he was bringing back some of the some of the capoeira stuff that he was doing back when he was a featherweight. But I also thought it was quite a short-term approach. You maybe made the argument back in January that Conor 
was maybe playing it too safe, just being quite conservative when he fought Dustin. This was almost the opposite side of the spectrum, and he was going too hard to try and get the first round finish, which, bearing in mind how good Dustin is later on in the fight, was maybe the best suggestion. I don't... A lot of people have jumped on the guillotine attempt as sort of Connor's downfall. What was he doing trying to grapple with a guy like Poirier who has such a good ground game? I actually quite like that. I, I like the fact that Connor was willing to try and mix things up. That was something which, according to Kavanaugh, they were looking to try and... Um, they were testing and training a couple of times during uh, preparations for the fight. So I don't fault thinking outside the box. Because, I mean, if Connor pulls off that guillotine, if he gets Dustin down and submits him, everyone's jumping on his back saying, oh, congratulations, Conor McGregor, you've just invented the guillotine, and everyone's going to be trying to do the same thing in training camps. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, for Kavanaugh to say that, it was pretty surprising. I mean, I don't, you know, anything, you know, guillotine's a 50-50 move, except really, except especially pulling guard for a guillotine. I mean, you know, any move that has is a 50-50 payout or even less, you know, going against a grappler like Poirier, I probably wouldn't want to concede the ground. You know, if you're McGregor, not only does going to the ground probably means you're going to ride out and lose the rest of the round, he really hasn't been able to show any ability to get back up to his feet. He also has serious cardio issues that have been exposed by the ground. Most of the time he does go to the ground. I mean, you know, the Mendez fight he did, he was able to get regain, you know, to his, to his feet and then finish Mendez. But, you know, as, as, as far as lately goes, he's really not shown much promise, you know, getting up after being grounded for a significant period of time. And to, I mean, I, I guess, you know, it's so tough with, McGregor, because I mean, he did blatantly cheat in this fight. He blatantly cheated in the Khabib fight with grabbing, putting, you know, fingers in the gloves. And I mean, that is the only reason Poirier did get up off of him was because he was holding Poirier's glove and trying to pull him into up kicks. So, you know, of a future fight down the road, I really hope they have someone in there other than Herb Dean who's able to stop that because it's, you know, if you have holes in your game, you can't cheat to patch those holes. And the big irony was that Dustin letting Connor back to his feet maybe gave Connor that stand-up opportunity. Now, depending on who you believe, depending on what uh, John Kavanagh says, what Connor says, what Dustin says, arguably in those final 10 seconds, that was when Connor threw the kick that led to the end of the fight. Right, right. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, as you know, I mean, as both you know, passionate consumers of MMA media, the you know the the Czech debacle has been explored so much already. There's so many YouTube videos breaking down. You know, if there was a kick that was checked, if not, if it was the knee, if it was the elbow, if it was the front kick, if it was the leg kick, it's really tough to see. But um, yeah, as far as the directionality of that fight, I mean, I don't know. What did you think when McGregor back got back up to his feet? He looked fatigued, but I mean, I don't think that he was totally done. But, I mean, obviously, you know, most judges, what, I think two of the three judges scored that a 10-8 round. So, obviously, you know, that would be a pretty substantial obstacle for him to come back to win that fight, you know, apart from getting a finish. I personally wouldn't have gone for a 10-8. I think the corner showed enough to try and avoid that outcome. What I do think, though, was that had the fight gone into a second round, I don't see Connor coming back from it. I think Dustin would have started piling it on. I don't think it would have been like a one-shot knockout like the second fight. I think it would be a case of rocking Connor, having up against the fence, and then Herb having to step in and say, that's it, I'm done. 
I agree. I really, I mean, this fight, if it showed me anything, was Connor's lack of durability. I mean, Dustin landed, the, sh- the, the shots that Dustin landed to cause McGregor to clinch were not substantial shots. I mean, he landed, they were, they landed pretty clean, but I mean, they were shots back in McGregor's heyday that he would have ate like nothing. I mean, McGregor used to be able to eat a ton of shots. Like, I mean, even as a featherweight, it wasn't like he was unhittable. He's always been, you know, his, his uh, left hook and the way that he leans over so much, he's used to catching a little bit, but yeah, I have sincere, I have serious concerns about his durability. And I don't know about you, but I feel like McGregor's in a pretty precarious position. And his last fight, he mentioned, you know, he's really here to just continue making highlights. In these past two fights, he's made highlights, but maybe not the type of highlights that he wants. I totally agree. And I think that a lot of people question when it's the right time for a fighter to maybe start winding down their career. Like, a lot of people have been sort of trying to put Conor in that same sort of bracket. Now, Conor is not say, like a BJ Penn, for example. He's not reached that stage. But it's starting to become an issue. Because, and, yeah. and I say this for two reasons. One, I think the mystique of Conor McGregor is starting to fade. Two, the performances, he's, he's lost a step compared to, say, the Dustin Poirier's, the Justin Gages of the world, the Charles Oliveira's. Uh, I, that doesn't mean that he still can't be good lightweights. I think if they ever did him versus, say, Tony Ferguson or Dos Anjos, I think Conor would have a good chance of winning those fights. But also as well, I think the star power, the, the, the good feeling around Conor McGregor is also starting to fade. He can still pull decent numbers. I think if he ever does come back from this, he'll still pull another million pay-per-view buys. But a lot more people are seeing him in a negative light. And that brings me on to some of the comments he made after the match was over. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, yeah, the comments he made, I mean, you know, he made pretty awful comments before the fight as well. But I mean, I don't think Rogan should have interviewed him after, you know, having a horrific, you know, leg fracture. I mean, no one should be interviewed at that point. That doesn't, can, that doesn't you know, give him free ride to say what he did say, but... Yeah, I mean, pretty classless comments. I mean, you know, he said stuff in the past before in the Aldo fights and the Khabib fights, you know, that did drum up controversy and were way farther than, you know, most fighters apart from your Colby Covingtons will go. But, yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, like you said, he's losing his mystique. His trash talk isn't as well well uh, written anymore. It's He's just really losing his mystique i mean he's he hasn't won a fight in forever i think this was a terrible outcome for him you know and i would rather see him fight you know like you said a more winnable matchup and maybe get two wins before you fight poirier again because going into the fourth fourth fight with poirier and losing what is your legacy after that in a strange way i actually think that the outcome of this fight i mean i'm not going to say that someone breaking their leg is a good thing But when you listen to what Dana White has said, he says that Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira will happen for the title next. But he also said Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor 4 will happen when Conor's ready. So you could realistically have a situation where Dustin Poirier beats Charles Oliveira, which at this point I think he will, and Conor McGregor fights for the lightweight title against Dustin Poirier in that fourth fight. The guy has lost two fights in the road to the same guy and could very realistically be getting himself another title shot. I mean, it's pretty disgusting, you know, as far as, like, the lightweight division goes. I mean, if we have an, a, 
you know, an ascendant Makachev or, you know, Gaethje comes back and gets another win, you know, in between that. I mean, it would be insane to give a guy who has not won a fight in the lightweight division in years a title shot. But, I mean, you know, money speaks, and that's made sense going. But, you know, like I said, at least if I'm McGregor's manager, I want to at least get a win. I want another highlight. I want something to show that our guy has something. Because, I mean, McGregor's not stupid. I mean, he might be crazy. I think he has a, a at least an idea. I mean, every fighter's confident. But, I mean, coming out of the last two fights with Poirier, not much success. You know, not as much not much to really go off of. I mean, he's going to be more hesitant to throw kicks now with the broken leg. The kicks were arguably, you know, the better part of this third fight, at least for McGregor. You know, he landed the left hand on the level change uh, feint that Poirier threw. And I mean, that's great. But I don't think his power is carried up enough to 155 to have the one hitter quitter power that he did at 45. You know, I, did, I don't see where he patches the holes in his game to overcome and beat Poirier. So, yeah, I don't know. He's in a weird position. He has so much money. You know, he could easily retire right now and go off and ride off into the sunset. And I think people would still probably respect him. And you would have plenty of McGregor fans who would say he would have won that fight if he wouldn't have broken his leg. But I think if you fight the fourth fight and you lose in dominant fashion again via stoppage, you've lost a lot of the shine off of your legacy. Big issue that I have with Conor in that regard, though, is that like a lot of people have been using Ronda as the, the main comparison. Obviously, Ronda and Connor are such big stars. With Ronda, you had someone who recognized quite quickly the sport had passed her by and then decided, hey, I'm going to move into a, a new field. She had a lot of success there, and now she's starting her own family and just seems to enjoy being away from the spotlight. Connor's the opposite. Connor seems to enjoy the sort of fame and the glamour that comes with fighting. And he's also a very proud man. I don't think he would be as open to accepting that the sport has passed him by. And you could see the situation, maybe like a, like a Chuck Liddell did, where he just keeps going and going because he wants that last win. He just enjoys that adrenaline rush of fighting and loss after loss after loss. That could... I know there's a lot of Conor fans that are going to be watching this, and I do apologize, but that is a realistic possibility of what could happen to Conor. This is not the same guy he was that destroyed Eddie Alvarez. Yes, and I mean, you know... For the Connor fans, I mean, he needs a win, you know. He needs to, if he really wants to heal, heal up and come back, he needs a win against legitimate competition, you know. He really does. Like, he just needs to get back. I mean, with a win, I think that, you know, people forgive the stuff that he said in the Poirier fight. I mean, he has, you know, the opportunity to rewrite the wrongs and like he loves to do, put out another highlight. Um, you know, apart from that, I mean, his name, like you said, his name, no matter what, has stayed pretty consistently good throughout this whole time. I mean, it's very well he could leave, you know, the UFC and do more of the, you know, celebrity style boxing. I mean, he has great hands. I mean, obviously, you know, boxing Floyd Mayweather didn't work out, but I mean, it's, you know, the best ever. He could box other people. He could go into other ventures, you know, that are still sports and com competition related. But as far as the lightweight division goes, I just don't know if that's a great division for him. I mean, he's mentioned not wanting to cut back down to featherweight. But, I mean, if he really has the itch still, I would be interested to see if he could do it. I don't know if he can, but... I did notice that uh, the bookies have opened a uh, book on Connor's next opponent. And uh, Jake Paul was the second favorite. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, it's a, everyone's acting like it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to heal up and just, you know be back to fight shape. I mean, this is a, a very grievous injury that he suffered, you know, and not everybody's a Chris Weidman. So, you know, 
I used to love the guy. I wish the best for him. You know, I hope he has a great recovery. And, you know, hopefully, I mean, in my humble opinion, I think he needs to get a win and he needs to get a new camp. If not totally a new camp, just get some different looks, get some different sparring and training partners, you know, like just get inject something different. I think he's, you know, just he's at a point in his career where he's at a real crossroads. The discussion about Conor McGregor could continue ad nauseum for the next three or four weeks or so. What we're going to do, though, is going to be talking about some of the rest of the card. Now, there's plenty of stories, plenty of big moments from this card, which we could be discussing in a lot more detail. For you, Luke, in particular, what do you think was the second biggest storyline coming out of this card? Um, You know, we will get to some of the finishes. You know, some of the finishes were great, but I mean, they were in fights that weren't as, um, weren't as big fights for their respective divisions. I mean, the co-main event was not a great fight, but I think it was an interesting fight because it, it didn't really give us much to go off of in the welterweight division. You know, we had what's virtually a cop, a top contender fight. And I was very surprised to see that that fight played out the way that it did. I thought that in his past few fights, wonder boy had been a little bit more aggressive, you know, wins against Jeff Neal and, um, Vicente Luque, uh, Gilbert Burns training partner, he looked to be a different wonder boy. Like, I mean, he was mixing in a little bit more volume compared to his older fights. He was a little bit more tentative with his fight with Gilbert Burns. And I think that he felt Gilbert's strength early, you know, and Gilbert was able to do what he wasn't, no one was able to do for wonder boy for a while, which was, you know, consistently get him to the cage and take him down. Um, you know, Gilbert wasn't really able to do much with top control. It was kind of a weird area of the cage where they were, you know, kind of up against the cage to where Gilbert really couldn't work on top of him or get any, you know, dominant position. And then, you know, the end of the fight is kind of marred by Gilbert, you know, repeatedly hammer fisting Wonder Boy in the back of the head. But I think that this fight's interesting in the fact that it really didn't give us a top defender, uh, contender for Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington is kind of still hanging in the mix. Which I don't 100% agree with, considering that Colby's last win was against Tyron Woodley, who's no longer in the UFC, but that's an argument for another day. I actually I actually came out of this fight with a lot more respect for Gilbert than I did going into it. I mean, I have enjoyed Gilbert Burns' rise up the rankings, and I personally picked him to beat Usman going into uh, 258. But at the same time, I also thought, how good were his wins? Well, you bear in mind that he beat Damian Meyer, who is pretty much on his way out of the UFC and also 40 years old. Tyron Woodley, who, as mentioned, was shot by that point. I think the Wonderboy win, even though Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is 38 years old, I think this win is much more of a, a sign of how good Gilbert Burns is than the other two were. So I give him a lot of praise because Wonderboy was always praised for his takedown defense, the way he could just stuff the wrestling and the ground game of so many great grapplers. And yet he was Gilbert Burns, who he made it look easy at times, the way he was taking down Wonderboy. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was... It was tough for me, because I don't know if I would say it was a good performance by Burns or a bad performance by Wonderboy. I've always ranked Burns pretty highly. You know, I know he had his issues at lightweight, you know, and he has shown issues with durability. He's been knocked out. But, I mean, he fought a pretty competitive fight for as long as it lasted with Usman, and... You know, as far as Stephen Thompson goes, you know, you either edge him out in a really, really competitive striking match as Till did. You spark him out like Anthony Pettis, you know, or you're an athletic freak like Woodley and you're able to, you know, kind of fight to a stalemate. But 
yeah, Burns was able to get in and do what in three rounds not many others were able to do, you know, even if Wonderboy is 38. So, yeah, I'm interested to see where Burns goes from here. Um, I haven't heard much from Wonderboy. I mean, you know, at 38, this was probably his last chance to, you know, fight for the title again. So I wouldn't see him, you know, sticking around too much longer. But I'm interested to see where Burns goes from here. Some of the other big things on the main card as well. Sean O'Malley, another knockout finish. Question marks over whether Herb Dean was right to stop the fight against Chris Moutinho. Not a competitive matchup despite that, though. It's, it's almost a strange situation where Sean O'Malley completely dominates this fight. There's no question over who the winner is. And even despite that, he actually comes out of the fight with a lower stock than his opponent did. Yeah, he did. And I mean... You know, his opponent didn't land all that much on him, but, I mean, it showed more holes in Sean's game. I mean, Sean had to stay in there a little bit longer. We saw that Sean really doesn't like leg kicks. I mean, Sean seemed very uncomfortable anytime a leg kick landed. You know, it's a guy who's had previous issues with his legs. And then, obviously, you know, Moutinho's pressure provided a unique foil for what Sean's style is. So, um, you know... Ideally, Sean would have had him out of there in the first round when he had him severely rocked. It was, you know, right down to the end of the round and Moutinho is able to get away and survive. So, I mean, if you're the O'Malley camp, you're kind of, you know, frustrated that you weren't able to get him out of the first round. But, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Moutinho is a tough as nails guy. I mean, you know, nine and five, not the greatest record. But, I mean, hopefully he gets at least one more fight in the UFC and, you know, I mean, O'Malley versus Font's a pretty interesting fight, and I'm definitely leaning towards Font in that fight. Speaking of Rob Font, I actually read somewhere that uh, in the aftermath of 264, Chris Moutinho already has more Twitter followers than Rob Font does. <laughs> That's absurd. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, he's been on a much more watched event, and I mean, Moutinho is very smart. I mean, he had the lime green hair. I mean, it gave. It was a very interesting thing to watch get punched for you know two and a half rounds so yeah i mean hopefully i'm i'm really happy to hear also moutinho received a bonus yes. because i think it was 17k show money i mean that's disgusting um in terms of other things was there anything else on the main on not on the main card but on the rest of the card and the prelims the rest of the main card fights that stood out for you you know, it was great to see Ty Tuivasa get a win over Greg Hardy. Um, you know, many members of the MMA media mentioned it, but, I mean, Greg Hardy has not had a win. Now every one of Greg Hardy's wins comes against opponents who are no longer in the UFC. Greg Hardy, you know, awful criminal past. I really hope he gets cut. Um, I think this kind of shows his ceiling. I mean, granted, he did rock Tuivasa before, you know, being finished himself. But, yeah, I mean, I don't. I think Greg Hardy's a bad look for the UFC, and I don't think he should be in the UFC anymore. So I was very happy to see Tai Tuivasa get that knockout. Um, Irene Aldana continuing her rise. I mean, she's someone who I'm very interested in in the bantamweight division, and I think she's over time she's began to flourish. I mean, you know, she's someone almost like a Chukagian, like we talked about before. I think a lot of these women fighters who are a little bit more new. You know, they have great striking fundamentals. They didn't have the power before, but. Aldana's really been sitting down on her shots. I mean, she sat down on that left hook and, you know, put Kuniskaya on her butt. So I'm really looking forward to see Aldana continue her rise. I mean, she's someone who could in provide a really interesting challenge to Nunez. I think that Aldana has a lot of power and maybe might even have a technical edge in her boxing over Nunez. And she's long for the weight class as well. Very long. She is. Great. Like, honestly, I would, what about you? Honestly, I would love to really? see Aldana versus GDR. 
I think that could be a fantastic strikers match. I agree. I think it would be a really interesting kickboxing versus boxing match. And, you know, Aldana didn't have the best fight against Holmes. She mentioned, you know, that she was had COVID and had an injury. But, yeah, I would love to see. It would be a great fight to see where Aldana is right now. Arguably, you know, GDR gave Nunez one of her best fights in past memory. So, you know, if Aldana is able to get past Jermaine Durandame, it could definitely show that she could be a challenge to Nunez. Uh, in terms of me, for the other prelim fights that stuck out for me, um, Ilya Tapuria. A lot of people had Ryan Hall down as almost this sort of this hoodoo man of the featherweight division. Because like, nobody saw he was such a tricky opponent to face, but you didn't get much upside from beating him. He completely starts Ryan Hall. And he's what, 11-0, uh, 12-0 now? He's one to watch out yeah. for in that division. I love Toporia. I mean, I side with Ed Gallo and the fight side guys. I mean, Toporia is one of my favorite prospects. When this match was made, I was salivating because I, this is what I pretty much saw. You know, we've seen Holland fights not be punished for, you know, the Granby or the, the roles that he does. Um, but, yeah, I think Toporia fought, in my opinion, a perfect fight. He went, he, you know, he engaged when he needed to engage. When Hall gave up his back, he would sneak in and catch him with shots. You know, and then finally Hall went to post with one arm. Toporia trapped the post arm under him and just teed off with ground and pound. Like you said, this is a thankless fight. You know, Toporia winning this fight, it's a great win. Uh, I think Hall was on, what, a, a six-fight win streak. So, I mean, you snap Hall's six-fight win streak. Hall had beaten, you know, BJ Penn, Gray Maynard, some notable names in there. Um, Kevin Elkins. But, yeah, Tor yeah, Darren Elkin. Toporia is 11-0, and I would love to see him face, you know, some higher-ranked competition after this. And I'm going to give it praise because nobody else seems to. Jessica Rye versus Jennifer Meyer was an absolute war. And I know that Jessica Rye has a lot of critics, a lot of people who think she's not worthy of being in the UFC. The state of her face by the end of that fight. Like, I know that uh, O'Malley versus Moutinho got fight of the night, which I'm happy for in regards to Chris, but... That, to me, was a contender because that, that was brutal. Man, it was. I mean, Jessica, I had just no quit in her walking into counters repeatedly. And, you know, her, game, her style is not pretty. It's not the most technical. But, I mean, she lands just by virtue of coming forward. And, you know, I mean, she was disappointed. I was 50-50. It was, it was a tough fight to score. You know, it depends on, honestly, I think I could have won at a different place with different judges based on, you know, how you score counterfighting. I think Maya was landing more in some rounds going backwards. And then, you know, I was the one pressing forwards most of the time. But, yeah, what a great fight. I mean, I, I has really made herself, you know, a high-action, interesting fighter. Even the fight against Calderwood, she really – brought the fight against Calderwood. Ultimately, that was a loss as well against another counterfighter. But yeah, I was happy for I and I really was wishing that, you know, she was going to get fight of the night or something for that. I mean, like you said, I mean, it was kind of a sleeper. Many thought the fight would be boring from the beginning. But yeah, Maya looked good as well. I think that, you know, she's going to be a constant presence in that division. And on that note, we'll uh, call it the end of the day. Uh, on the whole, if you had to give sort of like a schoolyard grade, for UFC 264, how would you score it? Man, schoolyard grade, we'll go out of five. I would give this a solid 3.5 out of five. I thought that there were some viral moments. You know, the Moutinho-O'Malley fight was an interesting moment. There were people, 
my friends that didn't even watch the UFC who are at bars or might have watched the fight for McGregor were asking me about, you know, the Moutinho and the O'Malley guy. Who are these guys? You know, these guys are hilarious. Um, you had great knockouts. You know, the Hardy fight was provided a great knockout. And then the main event, even though it ended in kind of a strange thing, I mean, it was still got people talking. It was very viral. I mean, for days, you know, at least the second day, you know, even now there's still people tweeting about Connor's leg. So I thought it was a great event put on by the UFC. And, you know, on paper, it might not have looked like the best card ever before, but I think it worked out great the night of. What do you think? I'm in the same board. I would personally go for four out of five. I think that, as you mentioned before, I think that there was a lot of stories which came out of nearly every fight on this card. And that's a big thing I look for. I'm maybe more media orientated than what some of the other people are who follow the sport but like obviously we've got the fallout from the Connor fight what's going to happen with him we've got obviously um Stephen Wonderboy Thompson some of the questions over his future tied to Avasa I mean Greg Hardy getting knocked out by a guy who came in dancing to the Spice Girls now that's the sort of meme style story that attracts new fans I think on the whole fantastic card um, just fingers crossed that the UFC could try and keep this momentum going with 265. That being said, you look at the main event, some of the sort of sort of issues that people have with the main event, which we've discussed ad nauseum on this channel. I question whether or not they'll be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you obviously, you know, not as much momentum as having a McGregor fight. Um, what are there only like three fights announced or four fights announced for that? That's something like I that, yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I definitely think, I mean, when I went to the last Houston, that one's obviously in Houston as well. That's the Derek Lewis one, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Houston's a crazy crowd. I mean, they could, they could put some people on there that I think would definitely boost the profile of that crowd. Derek Lewis is a very viral figure. I mean, there's a lot of people that I know who don't follow UFC who know who Derek Lewis is. So, you know, if you're the UFC promo team, I definitely think playing off of Derek Lewis. I mean, gone is a pretty unknown commodity outside of, you know, really, really hardcore fans, but I think really leaning into Derek Lewis could maybe help them out on that card. And we'll discuss that card in a lot more detail in a few months, in a not a few months it'll be completely out of date a few weeks time uh usc 265 i hope luke you'll be uh with me again to talk about that card the fallout from it in a lot more detail yeah i'd love to and i hope that you'll be tuning in as well this is the new format for the show we'll probably go back to normal for the usc fight night makachev versus moises of course featuring michi tate's comeback which is gonna which is gonna be very intriguing to see I'll be discussing that on my own, uh, same time in the next seven days. But now, though, this is the end of the INC recap show for UFC 264. My name's been Carl Bimbridge. That's been Luke Alexander. Thanks for having me, Carl. Uh, like, share, subscribe, ring the bell so you'll never miss a video. This is the INC. Thank you for watching.